Welcome back to another episode of Ag Watchers. Uh, we've got a special guest across the time zones. We've got Cor- Corey Nesteroff, uh, all the way from Canada, uh, to give us a bit of an on-the-ground talk about what is actually happening to the the canola crop uh, over in over in his part of the world. Corey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming to have a chat with us this evening or evening thanks for you. Thanks for having me morning for us. Corey, a quick one, just, just quickly in, 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 a, in, in, a, in half a minute. Can you tell us, tell us who you are and, and what you do? Um, so I guess my name is Corey Nestroff. Um, I have been in the egg industry since the late 90s, which actually makes me, I realized here that this last day kind of a rarity. Um, we went through some really bad times, especially in 2002 and 2004. Uh, and I was talking to an old friend today and we believe there's only about 10% of us left from them. Um, either most people left or didn't enter the industry at that time because it was so terrible. Um, so most of the people that are in the industry are from, you know, the good times. Uh, so I worked, uh, uh, I actually have my bachelor of commerce majored in accounting, but stuck in agriculture. So I've worked at the elevators with Cargill, um, with Richardson's, which was uh, uh, the biggest Canadian grain company. Um, in the early 2000s, I moved to Winnipeg and I worked in rail transportation with them. And then I was the uh, canola and flax uh, cash merchant there for a couple of years. Uh, then I moved to ADM and Lloyd Minister um, in 2000, uh, fall of 2004. And I was kind of their main guy that sourced for all their crush plants in North America. Uh, one has to travel the world with ADM, but I met my wife and uh, I came back to Saskatoon and just worked as a uh, sales rep for Cargill for 13 years, which had put me as the second longest serving rep in all of Canada with Cargill. So it was a lot of turnover, um, but it was good because I got to know both sides of the market, um, the agronomy and the marketing. And because I was in merchandising, I knew the information that the merchants needed. So I would always feed them that information. And I developed a really strong relationship with the, uh, the merchants at Cargill. Uh, then last year, I decided to kind of go out on my own. Um, you know, Cargill offered a program called Market Sense, and I, I thought I could you know, offer this similar thing to my farmers with, with less turnover. Um, so essentially, you know, I've been just dealing with a select amount of farmers, and then I do all the research and do all the writing for my, my own market wires. Uh, I've been heavily f- focused, obviously, on the world up until these last two weeks. And I literally said to farmers, I said, normally we don't, you know, it doesn't really matter what goes on in your backyard. But today for us, it doesn't matter what goes on in the rest of the world. It's strictly Canada. And I've never seen anything like this. And, you know, if there's 90 year old men or women with sharp memories, they've never seen this either. So. So Corey, you know, from from our point of view, like I'm obviously uh, I'm obviously Scottish, and I've been been in Australia for ten years. And uh, when you when you work in, in Australian agriculture, uh, you don't have to spend that long between the the good years and the bad years. Yeah, and that was um, Canada for <laughs> most of the time too. We've been on a crazy run. So so and and look, we and I think one thing to remember is that it's it's obviously horrific for us. You know. Canada's issues are going to be beneficial to our farmers. Let's be honest, uh, but we never want to see us benefiting off the back of our, of our Commonwealth cousins in in Canada. And you know, 
it is it is a difficult time. But can you tell us a bit about what you're seeing? I know you've been you've been out and about visiting farms, visiting, fixing irrigation, and and, and on planes over over paddocks. What what are you seeing on the actual ground? Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is that I have been communicating with a lot of you guys in Australia, and I, and I've I've made you know some new friends over there, and they obviously are concerned about the drought here, but. Um, I guess what I want to say to you guys is we have benefited over, over your pain for many, many years and guys that are prepared here, they have a massive land equity. They have incredible insurance. Um, and a lot of them have a lot of cash in the bank. So if you're not prepared, that was kind of you being complacent and, and not being prepared for it. Um, so for me, I was glad you reached out because I want to communicate to your farmers um, that there is serious issues here that, the, the the traditional way to do things in Canada is our traditional analysts, they stick with trendline yields and they don't change anything until the August that's Canada report, which yep. historically was the right idea to do it. Uh, so I've been knocking on doors and, and I have connections right through Western Canada, you know, with strong agronomy people, with people that I work with at Cargill, you know, you, I've made connections with over the past 20 years. And this is serious. I mean, we're literally like I've seen a crop run out of moisture in August in Canada. I've never seen it run out of moisture in July. So, and the, the first, no, go ahead. And it's, gonna, like, before you say, Andrew, I was just going to say because of your the role you do, you get fairly decent access across the kind of growing region there, or all the regions. You're not you're not talking about one specific spot too. You're you're kind of talking about the breadth of of kind of the you know the cropping area of, of Canada effectively been, been under this kind of pressure. That's correct. So I live in Saskatoon, which is the heart of hard red spring and canola growing country in Western Canada. And so I've had a lot of people say to me, well, it's your perspective, Corey, it's your perspective. Well, I posted a video on LinkedIn and I was walking through the parks, you know, that are just behind me. And if, if you take a look at that, it doesn't look like a drought, does it? No. No. So we actually got a lot of rain in Saskatoon and they irrigate these parks. So they look great, but you drive outside the city and, you know, before people were like, well, it's, you know, we had a perfect start. We had a perfect start. We spoon fed this crop exactly what it needed. We had the odd area that was bad, but we were like, Hey, you know what? We get two more inches of rain. We're going to grow a good crop. Uh, the problem, which you guys are obviously familiar with, is the omega pattern has been locked over us since last August. So we had one huge snow event, which we were thankful for, um, but there was no frost in the ground. So it was the weirdest melt ever. It went straight into the ground. <laughs> in April, I'm driving around and I'm seeing sloughs that haven't been dried up since the 90s. And so I don't need a high tech tool to tell me that there's no ground moisture. We know there's no ground moisture. And what I was saying is there was a field right outside of my city where there was some a water, a body of water that used to be probably over my head at one point. It's completely dry. But beside it was a canola crop that looked like it was going to be a bumper crop. And I said, that's how amazing we have that our technology has come in. You know, we know how to farm in a dry climate traditionally in Canada. A wet climate we actually struggle in. So all of a sudden, you know, this week of heat comes and 
this is right when we're the fungicide timing is for all the crops. So you're familiar with that timing, right? And how important that is for yield, right? We're not agronomists, but we'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay, so that is extremely important. This is when you set your wheat yield. This is when the canola is flowering. Yep. And so we're getting ready and we're looking at fungicide and this. And all of a sudden the forecast comes for that week. And I mean, I can count on the number of times in my life that I have seen 40 above in Western Canada. And it's not very often. Um, I've seen it four or five times already, essentially. I mean, it's 38, 39, so call it that. So when canola is flowering in Canada, July is usually actually kind of cool. August is our hot month. So we sometimes get a few days over 30, but generally it stays around 24, 25, and then the nights dip down like, you know, under 10. So I'm talking to the canola agronomist and I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? The, the canola crop, and it was all seeded early, is literally right across Western Canada going into flower. And we're concerned about heat blast. And he said to me, look, we have data for 32 degrees and it's not good. We have nothing for 40. We well, do have that data now. You don't, you don't have to, you, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a scientist to realize that at forty degrees during flowering with no moisture and no subsoil moisture, it's it's bad. And like we and we, did, we looked at some of the stats this morning. We pulled off the like the max temperatures, and like the average for you know June and July was like way above the typical max average yeah. temperature. So it's crazy. And and moisture is again like you say the rainfall. I think we're well, let me give you like 13 mils for the month versus, uh, you know, 60, Nothing. 70. <laughs> so let me, let me show you these peas. Okay? Can you see these peas? We'll, we'll describe it for those listening. They look, okay. they look so this good. is on the north side of my house. I'm watering it three times a day and the peas are dying. And there's just tiny little pods form. So basically the peas, if you're with the agronomy, the whole point of a plant is to reproduce seed. No matter what genetic engineering or whatever, the whole point of a plant is to reproduce seed for its legacy for the following year. Well, this pod that normally should have five to six seeds has two. And it'll fill because I'm putting moisture on it. The, the crops in the field, uh, they'll be, we'll have plant-based meat this year because the cows will be eating the peas. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of, of the forecast, at the moment, like, Let's let's not beat about the bush. The the, the crop in Canada is canola crop is going to be crap. And every crop is going to be crap. It's not every, just canola. But it, but let's concentrate on canola at the moment. It's it's going to be crap. Last year it wasn't so good either. And and so last year last year was with, a trend line yield. But you ended it up was, with, with lower stocks and imports. Yeah. So last year we did about forty one bushels an acre. So sorry, in Canada we still talk you know, imperial and metric, we, we measure the yield in bushels, <laughs> but then we put the carry out in metric tons. So it, it takes a while to get used to Canada. But uh, I, so that's about um, per acre, that's just under one metric ton per acre. Uh, don't ask me to do hectares. Sorry, I don't understand that. So we'll, we'll, let, we'll, let people, we'll let people listen and calculate it. But, but, yeah. so, but this year, you know, I was looking at, I just pulled off the data there for USDA, you know, USDA, you know, for, for all the faults, I generally tend to think of them as being about two to three months behind on what is actually happening on the ground. 
That's what we find in the US are pretty accurate, but when in Australia, we tend to find that what happens in Australia gets reflected in the USD report two months later. So at the moment, they, they, they've got a production estimate for this year of what, 20.2 million tons. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> but what, what, And I would have agreed. I would have agreed with that three weeks ago. I would have 100% agreed with that three weeks ago. Where and you, so the thing. And it was 19 million tons last year. So, so what are we, what are we thinking now? What are we thinking the yields, uh, the, the, the production is going to be? Uh, so, well, I mean, right now, I think that uh, we have lost a minimum of 5 million tons, um, but it's getting worse by the day. And, and, and nobody really believes me in Canada. I'm, I'm getting discounted by people in Winnipeg and stuff. Um, there's people that I worked with long time that are now in Minneapolis that, you know, I'm WhatsApping all the time and, and they trust me. Um, normally you could say the vegetation index maps that they, you know, look at, uh, are fairly accurate. Not much changes throughout a week. But, the but crop they... reports are fairly accurate, but this is changing hours. <clears throat> not just like, it's like literally every day when I go outside or when I drive outside of the city, you know, because basically Saskatoon is just surrounded by farmland. It's, it's changing. And and we and we've seen that in the past here in Australia, Matt, as well, haven't we? We've seen those. I remember two thousand and I'm going to say four or five years ago, around about then, we had that sort of a very sort of September real hot blast of hot air, like it was windy and it was thirty seven odd degrees, you know, and that killed off a lot of the crop in in I'm pretty sure it was the Wimmera and the Mali in Victoria. Yep. And so we can see these 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 sudden hot blasts just. You know, they're like a frost almost or, or, or drought. They just, well, by off. the way, we got a frost on the first day of summer here. So we did everything we possibly could to stress the crop this year. Well, I guess, you, I guess, I guess you're just it's, testing the genetics. <laughs> we tested them to the max this year. Just the, the nature of how extreme this is, Corey, is interesting too. I wonder what is the general perception around the agricultural community there? I mean, within Australia, you know, as you, as you know, if you're looking at what happens here, we do, we do kind of swing between um, drought and flood, and at the moment we're going through a pretty wet period. Um, but it won't be won't be you know far before we're back looking at a drought again, maybe in three or four years' time. Um, and 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 every time these kind of swings and volatility in climate happens, you often hear you know the old um, climate change scenario being dragged out. Um, some in the farming community are now taking that on board um, seriously. Um, there's probably still a bit of um, within Australia certainly. In, so there's still a bit of thought that that it's um you know we've had these cycles since uh, federation and um and yeah exactly. if you go back there was droughts in the you know in the 20s and there was droughts in the 40s and you know it's mm -hmm. just from an australian perspective some say it's it's not a big deal we get these swings all the time um what's the what's the broad perception in canada in the ag space are, are people are people broadly you know in tune with um that view of this is this is a, a new normal this is a big kind of change or are people just saying oh it's just an aberration what what's the feeling well i mean you know when i try to type in a picture of like drought it always pops up with climate change and i never use that hashtag because you know as i reminded somebody in saskatchewan there's proof that this the north saskatchewan river that feeds most of our province went dry in the 1700s well we didn't have cars out here in the 1700s and my mother said to me, who was a very big climate change, you know, this, this is happening. Um, 
she said, I didn't realize that these Omega patterns have been around since 1896. And I'm like, well, they've actually been around for much longer. But, you know, in 2012, when it locked in over Russia and it locked in over the Midwest, we got flooded here in, in the prairies. Now this year, you know, the, the meteorologists haven't really talked about it much, but people who studied meteorology, and I happen to have a friend that was an old, older fellow that has studied it for years. And he said that this Omega pattern is locked in. And so the moisture is basically coming to British Columbia, which is, you know, not a farming province, but you, everyone probably knows what British Columbia is. It goes over British Columbia. It goes up into the Northwest Territories, the Yukon, and then it comes back down into Ontario and hits the Midwest. And exactly how he described it in March is what's happening. So we're putting the crop in the ground, just hoping based on the moisture we got in November that would germinate. And we thought by end of May, you know, we were done. Okay. So normal drought, whatever. All of a sudden we get a low pressure system come in with two inches of perfect rain and it germinates everything perfectly. So we're like, okay, right on. We're back in the game. And I talked to him and he said, that was an extremely rare event that never should have happened with an Omega pattern that we got extremely lucky. But the problem is it made us extremely confident. And then we started getting, you know, the, he said the Omega pattern would blip and we get shots of rain coming throughout Western Canada. And so we got to the point three weeks ago where some of the algorithms that we used with the weather station said 60 bushel canola, 60 bushel wheat, uh, 90 bushel barley and 60 bushel peas. But what we learned last year is that when the extreme heat comes later in the season, it doesn't mean anything. You can throw those algorithms out, out the door. Uh, you know, that heat came rather than late, like last year, the heat came end of July, this came end of June. It's it, so I'm not going to say climate change, but we've never seen anything like this. We broke heat records that were set in Saskatchewan that were 45 degrees in 1935. They were hitting 49 in BC, way up in the Peace River, which is like Siberia. We were hitting 42. It's unheard of. And so this has crushed the entire crop. And we got complacent even as farmers. Like I was talking to your guys there and I'm saying like, don't forward sell any grain. And they're like, don't worry. Like we went through a drought. We don't sell it. So it's basically in the bin. We have sold heavy. Like guys have sold 40 bushel wheat, 85 bushels of barley. I'm going to visit a guy tomorrow because we were used to growing it. 2017, we thought it was a major drought, but we lived off of last year's moisture. And so that's what everyone's saying to me. Well, Corey, this is 2017 all over again. And I'm like, no, it's not. I should be driving through the prairies and it should be full of yellow flowers. The only flowers I found today were the irrigation. Yep. So, and, and, that's, and that you, you make a good point about that forward selling. Like in, in Australia, we've, we've got to the stage where we know that the crop isn't there until it's in the silo. Uh, because we have those late hailstorms, frosts, you know, wind blasts, storms, mice, you know, anything that you could throw at an Australian crop, we, we've we've done it. So so you, so to go back to what you said before, you you know you're probably looking at what a 15, 16 and a half million ton crop, and potentially well, I hope lower. So. <laughs> and and you know that'd be, that sounds like it'd be a good result. <laughs> yeah, I I mean honestly, like I'll, I'll send you guys some pictures. This land we pay, you know, $3,500 an acre. That's a lot of money for land in Saskatchewan. So it is some prime land 
and you can sprint through the canola field right now, you should not be able to sprint yeah, through yeah, a canola yeah. field in Canada in July. And and, and that's everywhere. That's not just like a few spots. That's everywhere. And, and but going back to that, that sort of levels, like we saw levels, you know, 30 million tons in 2012. Has, have we got the potential to hit that level? And I guess my sort of question is, you guys have been building up your domestic crush massively oh. you know like you guys are uh, i've been saying this for a while you like if you look at supply and demand you've got supply now coming down here but demand up here which is really a big issue because what your demand is like more than 10 million tons domestically and if you're going and to it's supposed to go to 15 in the next couple of years and it won't if, now well you sort of look at that and say well if, if you're producing 15 million tons you've got you know, end stocks coming into the season of a million, maybe. You don't have much to export. Like, you got nothing. Two fifths of, two fifths of nothing to actually export. And and I, I guess the question that and I made a I made a, a bit of a flippant comment recently. I said that uh, as as I often do, Matt. <laughs> but basically, one of your one of your famous bets. You, one of one of my famous bets. bets. Yeah. I made a ten year bet that in the next ten years, Australia will be exporting canola to to canada on on a regular basis and, and you'll I be think, getting japan this year it'll be all yours <laughs> and, I, and i think i think there's a big chance that this year we'll have we, we're gonna have a big crop we're gonna have a you know top two crop and i don't like if you look at the pricing you know yesterday you know we're talking a 200 dollar premium into on ice futures over over physical prices in australia that's incredible which, which could make things pretty attractive for, for for sending a shipper to to canada well i'll tell you right now uh, we're supposed to be sending three million tons of canola to the eu for biodiesel already adm windsor so they're in eastern canada and they can import vessels because they normally we load it in saskatchewan put it through thunder bay the great lakes and send it there they've brought in two vessels or they're bringing in two vessels of ukrainian canola yep. and we've heard they're buying more and railing it from Windsor down to Enderlin, North Dakota, to crush it for biodiesel. That trade flow makes absolutely no sense, none. But it's happening. Well, well, that's and so that's the funny thing. Like we, you guys are taking rapeseed or canola from from Ukraine, but Australia has sent canola to Ukraine this season. Yeah, <laughs> and and then like you talk the about trade flows. It's just crazy. Like it really is. It doesn't make sense. So. So look, look. I guess I'm, I'm, uh, at the moment we we saw what did we what did we see ice futures at yesterday nine hundred and forty something like that for for yeah. November. So we we actually as farmers like we, I, I was taught by an old merchant when I was at the James Richardson International to anticipate, and he actually anticipated the frost of two thousand four. He said to me, you know. Normally, our canola crops should be done flowering, you know, in the middle of July. This year, it was, you know, the end of June or, well, maybe not, but the first week of July. But it was still flowering at the August long weekend, which is the first week in, in August. And he said, you know, son, you've got a serious problem here. He says the canola crop is still flowering. And if I would have listened to him and just gone long, we would have made millions of dollars. But we kept selling and we lost millions. So about three weeks ago, I was saying to guys, you know what, let's just buy back all our canola hedges and let's buy back all our red spring hedges. 
But that's easier than said than done. A Canadian farmer has no problem shorting cash. But man, when you tell them, you know, hey, it's time to buy back the paper, not a chance. Now, Cargill thankfully has a contract where you don't need to put up margin. Um, so we yeah. used a lot of those. What was that, um, what's that one called? That's it's called, called a price protector. And it's uh, they've yeah. got numerous ones, but we use the price protector. Yeah, we used to have and, that in Australia. Yeah, and it's a fantastic contract because it's just amazing when you say, well, buy it back and you don't have to put money up, great. But if all of a sudden they got to throw margin, well, no, 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 because I could lose on both ends, right? So, or I have to pay for it right now. You know, if I lose a Cargill, I don't pay till I, you know, deliver the grain, right? Um, but we started buying back on June 18th. And yesterday we got out of everything. And with five customers, we put $286,000 in their pocket. And the reason we got out is because there is no actual buyers and sellers left in this canola market. It is only the speculator. I mean, after the plus 40 and wins, the canola market went limit down, you know, on, on, well, basically limit down on a Monday and Tuesday. And we're like, how is that possible? Yeah. But it yeah. is right now, it is a dangerous market. And they have a bio fuel announcement coming out on Thursday. And we all know how that went the last few times in the US. So as one guy said, right now, the canola market is a casino and we beat it and we got out and we put all our, you know, if we decided to put money, we put it into Red Spring because that market makes no sense at all. It being only 850 a bushel. Yeah. And, and that, that, that premium between say, SRW and, or Chicago versus Minneapolis is still relatively low, you know, percentage yes. wise compared to like, normally we've seen these big percentage rises like 2016, 2012, but now it's like, I don't know, 20, 20, 30% premium. Whereas previously it's been 60 and above percent. So it's still some, I, I agree with you. There's some legs to go, but, but I guess. Have you guys, it, have, have you guys on, ever watched the movie, the big short? With, uh, with, yeah, that's the one with what's his name, Brad Pitt. Uh oh, yeah, and so and Christian Bale. When, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when was he allowed to make profits? So end. he called them. He called the market and he asked them to write those tools, but he was on the wrong side of the market for a long time. When was he finally allowed to book the ginormous profits? Well, I think once he had taken them to court, I think was it not? No, nope. it was once the big guys got once the big guys got, got positioned. Picked. Once they got positioned, then and I don't sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it, honestly, <laughs> I'm looking at this market saying guys wouldn't sell wheat, cash wheat in Canada for thirteen dollars today if you offered it to them. Yet I can go and buy eight fifty wheat on Minneapolis and take delivery in um, March. Yep. And, and I mean, we don't have a functioning futures market in Canada, so we have to go off of, you know, US, try to, yeah. yeah, yeah. but we would honestly be better off to go and buy that today, take delivery in September and bring it back to cover our short cash contracts in Canada. It, it's that crazy because just, just arbitraging it, the difference. And, so, and what, what, what people, sorry, what people don't understand is that in 2008, when things got, sorry, I'm getting excited. When two, 2008, <laughs> when things got really bad in the world. We only had one seller in Canada, and oh, that see, was the wheat we, port. Yeah, we all oh, we were the same in Australia at that point. And so they protected everyone. They protected their mills. They protected the Asian buyers, and the farmer in Canada didn't know whether they were selling the high or the low because we had a pool, right? Well, now the farmer in Canada, 
he could store this grain three times over. Their public crop insurance is actually going to allow him to still make money this year. So the world buyers have to come to 10,000 sellers and they're not going to give it away. Yep. And that's, and that's an interesting point though, because you guys, you guys have, when did, when did CWB or Canadian Wheat Board end? That was 2011. 2011. 2012, actually. So the Conservatives got a majority government in 2011, and then 2012 was when it ended. And, and Australia was 2008. Uh, so we were slightly ahead of you in, in that respect. And what, what is the general, like a lot of, it's very mixed in Australia. Like there's still a lot of people that say we should bring back the single desk and a monopoly. I would say anecdotally about 50 50. Are farmers happy that the CWB is gone or? Absolutely. And, and even the yeah. guys that were heavily supporting it, what they didn't realize what happened. So what happened in 2013 is we had very little investment in our, our grain handling system. And so we grew an all-time record crop, uh, but we couldn't move it. And so it was open market. And that sucked for these guys because they saw like $3 a bushel under basis levels and 110 under, you know, on, on canola. Um, but I said to them, I said, remember, high margins bring in investment. And we have saw billions of dollars of investment. Yeah. And including the biggest one was the brand new G3 terminal off of Vancouver, which is the first one since the 60s. And that thing is built to handle grain and built for our system. So we had the exact same size crop last year as 2013. And we had no problems moving it. And the basis level stayed strong all year long. So farmers realized that the wheat board getting out of the way. And I think it was a result of us growing big crops that everyone came to Canada and invested and invested. They know what it's worth to them now. That's good. And in terms of, so, so going back to price, like it's gone crazy. Like I, I, you know, I looked at it yesterday. We, Matt and I were at a conference yesterday and uh, got home at about, uh, it must be you know, half past five, six o'clock. That I, that, I, that I, you know, turned on the computer and then I, I did my conversion from, from, from Canadian dollars to Australian dollars and I almost spat up my coffee. I was thinking, jeez. Mm -hmm. I think we, we caught that, you know, five of my guys caught that. They made a lot of money. So and I, I was like a 1,017 Aussie dollar and I looked at it and I triple checked it. I, you know, I was in Excel, so I thought, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to get my calculator out. So I got my physical calculator out and punched it in and no, it was right. And it's crazy because you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we are at a big discount and this is what we, we're trying to sort of get across to farmers locally is, and that's the point of this, this conversation is you can't expect to have the price that they're receiving in Canada because that price is effectively a drought premium. No different. Yeah, but I'll, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. So do you know why the ABCDs control 90% of the grade trade? Because uh, they could understand so back in in 2002 they knew that there was a drought in canada their guys on the ground knew it was and they'd phone the guys in australia or the black sea and say load up and then they would arbitrage right yeah, yeah, yeah. and well, so that's and that's 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 all off of this sort of multi-origin capacity and and and, 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 and which intelligence is networks. And, and, yeah and, and i think that's great and i think it's fantastic and they invest billions and they should be allowed to do it. Like, for example, here in Canada, they're not going to make any money, but they're still going to stick around. But what we didn't have the last time we had a drought in Canada is I didn't have Zoom. 
I didn't have a smartphone. Yeah. I didn't have the ability to text. I didn't have any social media. So now people are like, well, how are you getting around so far? And I'm like, I'm staying within an hour and a half of Saskatoon, but all my friends from Lesbridge, Peace River, because I've connected to a lot of people over the years, are just sending me pictures. So I'm gathering all that information and saying, you know, usually you can only, you can pick the bad areas. We know exactly where the good areas, I would like to say, were, because they're no longer good. Yep. And that's, and that's the thing that there's been a lot of talk about in, in recent years about the fact that you've got these large global multinationals. And I, I used to work uh, in, in Cargo as well, Corey, as you know, and I knew a couple of the guys that you know in, in, in Canada. And at the end of the day, I think that with new technology and new access, it is probably making it harder for those companies to make a profit, to do what they used to do. Because yeah. nowadays you've got access to so much information, but I guess we, we, Corey, we, we're running low on time on this one, and I just wanted to say basically, you know, thanks for coming along. If if you could sum up the Australian, this not the Australian crop, we can do that for you. If you want to sum up the Canadian crop in in one sentence, what would it? What would you? How would you summarize it for this year? And you can use swear words if you want. Um. Well, one thing I thought of is the drought of Ukraine in the 1930s, um, because people in Canada don't even realize how bad this is for us. Um, I could say dirty 30s, but the world has come to rely on lots of grain from Canada, uh, wheat that makes your bread rise. And from January till August this year, there might be little to no exports out of Canada. We have one of the best logistics, if not the best logistics system in the world now. And oh, we have no... Corey, Corey, oh, you're going you're to annoy a lot of Australian listeners. <laughs> oh, come on. You guys got to see it now. We, we've, got, we've, we've got the best, apparently. We've I know got, you we've got do. The best we logistics, your position, okay? The okay, best, so the best bread we... He's going through, Andrew. They're going through a massive drag. Give him, oh, give him something. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you, you've, you've got the best, Corey. That's right. We we are the we we run our grain right through in a mountain in the middle of the winter in minus forty. See, you guys do that. Well, we have you. You're complaining about plus forty five for a couple of days. We get that for half the year. I know. So. <laughs> and and we have mice. So so Corey, that's true. And you have snakes, and I'm not telling you about those snakes. So yeah. so Corey, I just want to say again, thanks for thanks for coming along. Uh, this this will run out, and it will kick us off in a minute because we're on the <laughs> the basic version. Uh, but importantly as well, that one of the things that I've learned from, from I come from Scotland where we don't have hot weather at all. A hot day for us is 14 degrees. And uh, one of the things that I learned from, from that early drought is that it does impact upon everyone in the supply chain. And, and it will impact you as well, because I know that really? as, as a merchant and, and as a consultant that you are now, you've got a relationship with all of these farmers. And, and it can impact upon you. So yep. again, just take care of yourself would be Absolutely, yep. would be the main thing. Um, and, and yeah, just be there for your farmers. And, and we've got two minutes left. I'm going to ask you one question. Uh, you might not know this, but I am, uh, I'm actually involved in, in Australia's fastest growing sport, uh, which is, which is ice hockey. No way. 
and uh, so look, I'm not going to say I'm any good. I've I've got I've got a couple of broken arms and a and a broken cheekbones to to <laughs> to, to prove it. Uh, I play in, in beer league hockey, but what is your what is your team? Uh well, my team is the Montreal Canadiens. It has been since uh-huh. the '80s. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so hey, you know what? I was surprised they even got there, but you know, yeah, it's a little disappointing. So we uh, we haven't had the cup in 30 years in Canada, so it's kind of hurts. I was going to say it's been a long time since Canada had a cup. My my, I have I have a, a couple of teams. I have my my local team back in Scotland, the, the Solway Sharks. I have the Flyers, uh, but I'm also a big fan of the uh, the Brandon Wheat Kings. Ah, the um... the CHL team. So. Yeah, Kevin Shevoldayoff's from my hometown. He's the GM of the Winnipeg Jets, and he played with the Brandon Wheat Kings. So, and the well best familiar with the, the best jerseys in the world. But anyway, yes. we we well, we will have to go, and because this will, this will cut us off any second now. But thanks for again, like I really appreciate, it. and we'll have to get you on again and yeah, uh, to see sure. how things ended up. We'll get you on in a couple of months. But really appreciate what you've what you've had to tell us because uh, it's you can get us on in a month because harvest will probably be done in a month. <laughs> <laughs> Harvest might not start. Yes, <laughs> but uh, but again, thanks for coming along, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. See you when you got nothing. Thanks, on. guys.